John Crispin will be on the call for Westwood One doing the Thursday and Saturday games, Michigan State, Kansas State, and then FAU Tennessee, games that we all have some serious intrigue in. And, John, I want to I start with Michigan State heading into this Kansas State game. More importantly, Michigan State shot 2 of 16 from 3, but they did four 16 turnovers. They beat Marquette by 9. I, this is one of the games we both have kind of got, all of us on this set have gone back and forth a little bit, John, and said, well, Kansas State has looked good. But Michigan State was still able to win against Marquette, and it's Tom Izzo. Uh, what, do, what do you expect from this game? Is this kind of one of those in Izzo we trust type situations? You know, I feel that way, and I've known him well for a long time, and it, it just seems to be almost habit at this point to trust Tom Izzo in March. Uh, I know it's cliche at this point, but it's also kind of true. Uh, he understands what it takes to win in a tournament setting, and I think part of that is, is he, he plays a little differently than they do in the Big Ten. And, and part of the issue with the Big Ten and why there's only one team in, in Sweet 16 from the Big Ten is it's an assimilation league. So everybody has to play like everybody else to be able to compete within the Big Ten, which means you're going to stink when it comes to the NCAA tournament because nobody plays that way in the NCAA tournament. Tom has just figured out how to kind of get both out of his team. And what you see is now you start to see him pushing it up the floor a little bit more. They, they throw it up the wings. They try to feed the post quickly. And if they don't have anything, then they make you work defensively for about 25, 30 seconds. And I think that's kind of the recipe he's had. And, and this group has the personnel to play that way. Tyson Walker, A.J. Hogard in the guard position, both very complimentary and haven't been that way all year because, I mean, let's be honest, you get transfers in, it takes years to figure out who you are. Figures out that it takes years to figure out the pecking order and the dynamics of a, of a group and the leadership of a group. So they finally figured that out. They're complementary, and I think that's given them a bit of an edge. But, you know, Marquis Noel is, is kind of the key for Kansas State. He's a tough cover. He's like five foot eight. He gets places that, you know, the uh, the grease man in Ocean's Eleven can only get yeah. to. And, and that's what I was like, I don't know why that came to my head, but that's who I thought of. Uh, barely says a word, maybe one line in English the entire three series. But but he, Marquis Noel is that guy. He shoots it from deep. Uh, and, and I think Tom Izzo is going to have an interesting game plan on how to defend him in the ball screen. They're not going to let him roam freely. They're, they're going to either trap him or hedge hard and really get the ball out of his hands. And, and I do think that gives Michigan State an edge. The other thing is, too, guys, you got to remember, like, Michigan State's playing with purpose, and the purpose is, is far beyond just basketball at this point. I think that's, that's special when it comes to the NCAA tournament, where there's this emotional purpose when you consider the tragedy that that campus, that community went through at something that Tom Izzo was really, you know, he, he had a significant piece in, in building that community back up when he spoke, when he spoke uh, after the deaths of three individuals from Michigan State and, and the hospitalization of five others. He was the leader that stood up in that community, and I think it's been galvanizing for this group, but also galvanizing for the Michigan State community. Yeah, that's that's a really, really great point. A another, I guess, matchup that I'm fascinated to hear your opinion on is, is Arkansas-UConn. Uh, Arkansas and UConn yeah. has been up and down pretty much this year, very dominant early on, had a little bit of some hiccups midway through and looked super strong now. Sonogo is a beast. His tournament play has been ridiculous. And you've got an Arkansas team that is Nick Smith really going to be benched in this next game? Like, how are they going to prevent five Huskies who are shooting, you know, almost 40% from deep? Like, how do you see this matchup going? Look, I think if it was previous Arkansas teams, it would be a better up and down contest. But this has been an Arkansas team that needs to be a little bit more focused on the defensive end, maybe limit possessions as opposed to maximizing them as, as, 
as Coach Muss would like to do, uh, and that's fine. That's just who they are. Wiki Council has been terrific, a great transfer pickup. He's been good on the defensive end. He's scoring the basketball. But they're really more rooted in who they are defensively and their playmaking on that end. And the challenge is you have a UConn team that, I mean, let's go back towards the beginning of the season where we were just kind of reacting to whatever happened recently. You know, our recency bias as analysts is, is amazing. Like we say, there's like 20 teams throughout the course of the year that we say is the number one team in the country. Mm-hmm. And it's only because they were over the last two days. Uh, but UConn was one of those teams that I actually believed in. I actually said, look, I, they may be one of the best teams in the country. And, and, and I'm not saying that because they've been dominant as of late. They, they do have a bit of that two-of-every-kind type of approach where they can go 10 deep. They can play 11 guys if they really needed to. They have two really serviceable bigs, and by serviceable I mean two likely pros at, at the center position that they can play together. It really comes down to can Jordan Hawkins make shots? If Jordan Hawkins is making shots, the game gets easier for everybody else. There's better spacing on the floor. The ball moves freely. Defenses get into a chase mode. And if you can get this Arkansas team chasing the play against a really deep attack from UConn I I have a tough time seeing Arkansas win I I do I really like UConn I feel like at some point this season they got a little bored and that made them vulnerable I don't think they're bored anymore really quickly on the total uh I think they they've got maybe Jordan Walsh matching up against Hawkins like you said the total is 140 and a half here do you think this is like a sneaky underplay Man, that would be boring if it is. <laughs> like, let me just be real. I'm an offensive guy. I want to see games in the 80s and 90s, and I would actually craft the rules to get it there. I would say over on that because I think UConn just wears you down offensively. They're mm-hmm. going to play with pace. And, again, if Arkansas wants to slow it down, they're going to make themselves more vulnerable in a half-court game. So I do feel like there's going to be you know, probably 60 to 65 shots taken per team, and if that's the case, I likely see a game played in the upper 70s. John, I really like this uh, Florida Atlantic team, but I don't love this matchup with Tennessee. How do you see this playing out? Because Florida Atlantic hasn't really played any top 50 teams other than Memphis this season. It comes down to three-point shooting where I think they shoot the three ball on 43% of their field goal attempts, but then Tennessee is the number one team in the nation defending the three-point line. Do you think FAU could at least keep this game close? I, oh, I certainly think they can keep this game close because Tennessee has not really been much of a scoring team. They've, they've relied so so mightily on their defense, and ultimately, as you remember from the Duke game, their physicality. Uh, and that's the part I'm really paying attention to. Yeah. When you start to hear a social narrative, right, it, it kind of gets rooted in your brain where you say, oh, they were too physical, they were too physical. You, you just hear it over and over again about the, the rugby rules and all these Things get thrown out, and it becomes a narrative. And if you think officials aren't human beings and, and have that the same human condition that we have, they fall victim to that too. And they start to say, well, wait a second. The first five minutes of this game, we need to get control. So the first five, this would be a live bet game for me. I don't, I don't gamble on these things because I feel like my logic just gets me into bad spots. But, but this is a game where you want to see the first five minutes of the game. How is it called? How, how the game is called will determine the outcome. Because it's an FAU team, it's like, yes, Tennessee defends the three pretty well. But do they defend it based on the way FAU gets their threes? That's what's different. Like, FAU's different because they don't play in that Power 5 conference. They can be different because they're able to be different. I think that's one of the advantages of Gonzaga over the last few years. Yeah, the other style. They can actually do things differently. Yeah, the other matchup I wanted to ask you about really quickly was San Diego State and Alabama, just because Alabama likes to get out and run, and San Diego State obviously likes to slow things down really good defensively. Do you think they could keep it close or actually upset Alabama? They're They're the team right now. They look like a true one seed. Yeah, they do. They look like a true. Not only do they look like a one overall seed, and they can yeah. win physical games too. They're, they've shown that they're tough, and, and, and in so many ways, all the madness that's going on around there, in a way, it's, it's internally galvanizing. 
But San Diego State is, is physical and they're old. They got dudes. And, and dudes know how to get the game played on their terms. I think that's what gives them a little bit of an edge. But it can't be a close game. You, you have to force Alabama to actually play from behind, and then you control the pace of the game if you're San Diego State. So you can't play this like your possession, my possession, and ties the scores 50-50 with two to play. If that's the case, Alabama wins. You have to get Alabama to have to speed this thing up late while you just continue to suck clock out of the game if you're San Diego State, which old guys know how to do that. Talking to John Crispin, ESPN, Westwood One, Sirius XM, going to be on the calls this weekend. I, I want to actually go back to something you said a minute ago. You kind of slipped it in, but I actually find it very interesting. I'm an offensive guy like you. I love to see more scoring. Yep. Now, NBA games in the 170s, that's a little bit much. I like some semblance of defense, but it is what it is. got to find a balance somewhere. You said you would change the rules a little bit in college basketball to up the scoring. What what would you change? How long is how long's this segment? <laughs> as long, we got we got about five more about minutes. About as long as the shot clock yeah. in, in <laughs> college. Right, right. You, start there. you guys buckle up then. You buckle up. Look, it, start, it starts with four quarters. It starts with four quarters. Timeout at the five-minute mark. No live ball timeouts. Enough stopping good runs, which means fun, good basketball, because you can't – your team can't figure it out. You got to learn on the fly. You got to figure out how to play basketball. Allow your teams to figure it out. You can't stop a game with a timeout. Beyond that, 24 second shot clock. You need a 24 second shot clock. And, and let me tell you why this is all important. That the no stoppages are important because what we don't really understand, and this is what something I got to fight with people on all the time, is the game is too physical because guys are rested. The game. Think about that. The game is too physical because guys are rested. There's so many stoppages. There's so many timeouts that people aren't tired. So there's no flow. What, what people don't understand is fatigue on the floor creates better flow. You foul less when you're tired. You don't have the energy to just bang it out down low. You actually run up and down the floor more. There's better flow within the game. And if you get better flow within the game, the next step would be to no live ball timeouts. You can't stop a good run with the 20 million timeouts that you're going to take throughout the course of the game. Officials need to better be better about getting the ball in and getting the ball up and down the floor. We can't have these slow, arduous, physical games and expect that these guys to even become good pros. So that's the other part. You know, How are we helping these guys be, become better pros when the games are played in the 50s here? And it's all about execution. We're training robots to do what humans should be doing. And I think that's what frustrates me about it. When you're 12 years old and you're a professional overseas, now I say you're a professional, I mean you join a club overseas. When you're 12 years old, you play with a 24-second shot clock, and we wonder why Europeans are skilled, and we wonder why fours and fives know how to shoot threes. Well, it's because they've been doing so with constraints on the games, not limitations. In, in our world, what we do in America is we tell seventh graders that they can't steal the ball and they have to play 2-3 zone, and you can't press because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. Well, how are we making better basketball players? We're putting limitations on these kids. Give them constraints. Put a shot clock on those kids. Let them press. Let them do whatever the heck they want to do. We'll make better basketball players, and those better basketball players will make the college game get better. And if we can make the college game better, they'll become better pros. And I think ultimately that's the path that kids want, but the changes of the game kind of have to come from the top down, the powers that be, the coaches that are making four, five, six million dollars a year doing this with the controls that they have on the game. So at some point we need to do it because the reality is sports is now entertainment. If it wasn't entertainment, it wouldn't have the value that it has. So we better show darn sure make it entertaining.
God, I have so many questions I, well I want to ask love you. Every one of those ideas. I, I know. Yes. I, I, I want to <laughs> go more global, but I need to get your take on Xavier Texas because I've been saying how much I love the Xavier team. I think Sean Miller has come yes. in and done a great job. Texas, obviously, a super balanced team. If they win, they'll probably make this interim coach the full-time head coach. What, what do you think about this matchup? Yeah, look, I, uh, you've got Gus from Better Call Saul or the Breaking Bad movies from, from in terms of Rodney Terry at Texas. He's got the coolest look in all the coaches yeah. of college basketball. And then you have the trailblazer, Sean Miller, who, who I, I've always liked. I've always liked Sean Miller. And he's a trailblazer because he was doing the things that were illegal that are now legal and done above the table. So he was really just a trailblazer. He was ahead of his game. Uh, he's done a fantastic job at Xavier. Now, they have a good team. Yeah. You know, they have really good personnel, but I love Texas. I think Texas is one of those teams. It was a terrible matchup for, for my uh, quasi-alma mater. I never graduated from there, transferred, but I went to Penn State. Um, bad matchup for Penn State, who had a great season. But Texas is long. They're athletic. They have three really good guards who can create off the bounce and shoot it from the perimeter. I, I like Texas in this one, and I actually like Texas coming from the region, although like the Houston's been pretty good. I, I just like Texas because I feel like they haven't even scratched the surface to how good they can be offensively. They've really gotten focused on their defense when Chris Beard went out and Rodney Terry came in. But this is a team that could, could score in the 80s and 90s as well if the game affords them. John Crispin, great stuff, man. We could do an entire hour with you. That was, I know, that that was, was awesome. Incredible. Plus, I, we second, third, and fourth all of your ideas to fix college basketball. I'm all in. Appreciate you yeah, giving us the time tonight. Yeah, time. if you want to hang out actually for an hour, we'll replay this on Friday <laughs> so we can watch the games <laughs> around like, 9 p.m. Zach's UCLA. <laughs> Hey, Thanks, man. Be, be careful asking me to talk more. I, I, you know, a lot of people have fallen into that trap, too. I enjoy it. Yeah. We've it's got like four hours, so trust me, trip. we're more than happy to have you on again. Oh, no, John Crispin. Great stuff. Yeah, I love that, man. I love hey, my pleasure. Enjoy the tournament. Those, those too. I'm really – I'm, I'm with him on literally every one of those ideas. Every one of them. I also hate, like, the possession arrow. It's stupid. Also, it, it, uh, also Sean, Sean Miller – also, bad guy. Like, yes, did some things that got them wins. Also, did a lot more than I, pay players. And but, he, but, but now, well, no maybe. former players love Sean Miller. None. Oh well, maybe. I was gonna yeah. say, like, what he did though. Now it's just allowed. Well, it, he did more. Yeah. He did even more than that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? There's more going I'm, I'm on. I'm talking about yeah, the stuff that actually. Okay. I, I got it. <laughs> you know what I got saying? it. Yeah. Amazing to think. Just a few years ago, we were talking about college players having to get paid, <laughs> and now it's literally free agency in right. college sports. It's wild.